receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. <coughs> Excuse me. Christ redeemed us, from, uh, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You will bless it. We pray that You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody here that is without Christ, that today You would grant them the new birth and the ability to put their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, bless this time that You build up each and every believer in Your Word. And I pray that You would uh, grow us into maturity. And Lord, point us to Christ. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if there was ever a doctrine in our day that need to be rediscovered and a doctrine that we need to dwell on, it is this doctrine. Now, I say that to, for all of these doctrines that we're hitting on today. And, but this doctrine that we're going to be looking at, uh, faith alone, or justification by faith alone, um, it is vitally important because in this doctrine we learn how we are made right with God. How a sinner can be accepted before a holy God. I also say that we should dwell on this and rediscover this and preach this doctrine for several reasons. Uh, first, it is the heart of the gospel. It answers the most important question, how we are right with God or how we can be made right with God. I would also say that it is also important that we understand this doctrine because if we don't understand it, there is eternal consequences. Just as Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, in verses 8 and 9, he said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So there are great implications for preaching any other gospel. There's great implications. There's eternal consequences for preaching a false gospel and even receiving a false gospel. I would also say that we need to rediscover this doctrine and preach this doctrine because many and most people in our churches today, including many pastors, are woefully ignorant of this doctrine. Now, I say that because I've pastored in many places in Oklahoma and I have seen people who don't even understand this doctrine, have never heard this doctrine. I was in southwest Oklahoma in a little town called Blair. 
about 40 people one night. We were going through this doctrine, and I asked the question, how many of you ever heard of the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Not one person had ever heard of it. Then, in a Sunday school class, same church, uh, several people, I asked the question, how many of you have ever heard of this doctrine? And no one had ever heard of this. I know by my own experience, growing up in a Southern Baptist church up in Shakota, I only heard this doctrine one time. Now, I, or the, the term justification by faith alone. It was in a youth group, and I don't even remember what all the guys said about it, but that's the only time that I heard that doctrine uh, or mentioned, justification, or that phrase, justification by faith alone. I would also say that we need to rediscover and preach and dwell upon this doctrine uh, in, in our society because most evangelical leaders don't even understand what is at stake when it comes to this doctrine. For example, when we come to the Reformation, this was the heart of it. I mean, the, the authority of Scripture laid the groundwork, but arising out of the authority of Scripture, the, the Reformers, such as Martin Luther, they rediscovered this doctrine that we are made right with God by faith alone in Christ. And that created a huge chasm, a, a huge dividing wall between the Catholics and those like Martin Luther. But today we've come full circle because many evangelical leaders, many who profess Christianity, want to hold hands with the Catholics. They want to hold hands with those who believe in a false doctrine. You have all the time people who are, are reaching out to Catholics and treating them as though they are brothers and sisters in Christ, when this is not the case. Rick Warren recently stated about his Catholic friend and, quote, partner in ministry. He said, quote, If you love Jesus, we may serve on different teams, but we're in the same league of receiving His grace and forgiveness. He needs a lesson in justification by faith alone. In 1994, evangelical leaders who should know better, such as J.I. Packer and Chuck Colson, came together with the Roman Catholic leaders to produce a document that they would all agree upon to help bridge the gap between Rome and evangelicals. And it was called Evangelicals and Catholics Together, the Christian Mission in the Third Millennium. This was the, an attempt to try to formulate a unity, unity that might tie the two works together, the two together, in political cooperation and to help solve social ills. It all sounds good on the surface, but it all goes back to this doctrine of justification. What do we believe about how man can be made right with God? As one man pointed out, the solution to the problems of society must begin with a return to justification by faith alone. You can't just hold hands with unbelievers and, accept and believe that we can fix things. It is only the gospel that can fix things. The Christ alone. They don't understand what Catholics teach. Because when you go to the Catholics' own confession, I guess you would say, the Council of Trent in 1563, listen to what they say about this doctrine that we're getting ready to look at in Scripture. Canon 12 from the Council of Trent, 1563, quote, If anyone shall say that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in the divine mercy, pardoning sins for Christ's sake, or that it is the confidence alone by which we are justified, let him be accursed. Now, preach that or quote that to those who want to say that the Catholics 
our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Quote this to Rick Warren, who wants to hold hands with Catholics and say, well, they're just like us. They're doing ministry like us. They're all about Christ. No, they're not. They're just as what Paul said. They are those who preach another gospel, and they are the accursed ones, not those who preach the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So in all of this, we need to come back to this great doctrine and to the question of how can we be made right as sinners before a holy God? If 500 years after the Reformation teaches us anything, it is this. We need another Reformation. We need another return to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But where do we start? Well, we start where Moodliar uh, uh, set us off and, and, uh, and begin. We start with Scripture alone. So with that, let's go to the Scriptures and see what the Bible says about how we are made right with God. Now we've read this passage, 3, uh, verses 1 through 14 in Galatians, so I won't read it again, but I do want to give you the context of what is going on in this book, or this letter. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and the Galatians had been hoodwinked. They had been deceived by false teachers. There were the Judaizers who were saying that, well, faith alone in Jesus isn't enough. You must be circumcised. That's what they were telling these Gentiles who were not Jewish. They were saying, you need to undergo this this rite. You need to go uh, and do this work in order to be circumcised. Now, it wasn't that they were just necessarily rejecting Jesus altogether, though that's what they were doing, but they were adding to the work of Christ. And when you add to the work of Christ, you might as well reject Christ altogether because that's basically what you were doing. And so Paul writes this letter. He writes this letter to bring them to their senses. And in chapter 1, he warns them about another gospel, the passage that we just read, that if someone preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. And then Paul goes in, in chapter 2, to his own experience, how he was uh, was a strict Pharisee. He was trying to earn salvation by law-keeping. But then when the grace of God appeared and God appeared to him on the road to Damascus and revealed his son, Jesus Christ, to him, his eyes were open, the scales fell off. And when he realized when God revealed his son to him, he realized that salvation is not by works, but it is through through Christ, through by faith and through through Christ alone. And so he gives uh, that um, testimony there in chapter one and then in chapter two. He goes in and talk about, talks about the apostles and how he had went up after several uh, years and he went up and they were preaching the same gospel and they affirmed him. Now, he didn't need their affirmation because he had it come straight from God. But nevertheless, they, the apostles, they were teaching by faith alone. And there we see in Acts chapter 15 um, that the apostles, they... They, they declared that that is how salvation, by, by the Spirit, the Spirit had revealed that it is by faith alone in Christ. And so that's what Paul uh, does there in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then Peter, he gets kind of wobbly and, uh, when it comes to this doctrine because the Judaizers showed up and he distanced himself from the Gentiles and then Paul sets him straight. And so now we come to chapter 3. Chapter 3, and notice here what Paul says. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, in verse 1, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Notice the sobering tone. 
He's not dealing with them with, you know, with kid gloves. In our day, people get easily offended by sobering talk. But Paul, like Jesus, is calling the Galatians what they were. They were foolish because they had abandoned Christ. They had abandoned faith alone in Jesus Christ. Their conduct was irrational. They were abandoning their only hope of salvation and only way of salvation by turning to a false gospel. And anyone who does that is foolish. Now, lest the tolerance police say that Paul here was unloving when they seek to correct Paul and say, how dare he be so bold and unloving and calling them foolish? Let's remember what a true pastor does. Paul was doing just what a true pastor does. Paul told Timothy, he said, that there's coming a time when people will fall away. There's going to be a time when people would uh, turn away from the truth. They would gather up teachers to tickle their ears and all the like. But what does Paul tell Timothy? He said, preach the word to be ready in season and out of season. And in doing so, what is a preacher to do? He is to reprove. That is, they are to correct a person by showing their fault, by exposing their folly. And they are to rebuke, which means to sternly tell someone where they are wrong, or to charge them sharply and exhort them with complete patience and teaching. That's exactly what Paul was doing here by calling them foolish. But he goes on, he says, of these foolish Galatians. He asked the question, who has bewitched you now notice this here they had turned away from the one true gospel or they were in the process of it and he says who has bewitched you now the word bewitched here is very interesting because it implies that the galatians have become the objects of a sinister plot there is someone who has come along and it's like they've cast this spell over the galatians they, they have cast this spell. They, there's a, a, a sinister being behind all of this. And he says, who has bewitched you? Well, we know that it was the Judaizers, right? Because Paul even mentions them in this letter. They were the ones who were saying, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. But notice here, the word who is in the singular. Who is in the singular? The Judaizers, that was plural. It says, who has bewitched you well we know that it was the judaizers but lurking behind the judaizers is that one that we call the deceiver the one who is the father of lies who is working through the judaizers to deceive the galatians and who is that satan himself who was in the garden paul mentions uh, such a thing in second corinthians eleven three, when he says but i'm afraid that as the serpent, de serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, the word of warning here that I think that we find in this is that a departure from the gospel is satanic. It is satanic. It, any group, any denomination, any teacher that would reject this doctrine or teach some other doctrine is fueled by Satan himself. You know that Satan is lurking behind such teaching. And so, we cannot be naive to think that this type of thing does not happen in our day and age, because it does. Think about what I just told you earlier. There are so many churches, so many people who today don't even know this doctrine. A satanic delusion. People have been bewitched. Now, we go on here, and Paul is baffled in some ways as well of how they have turned away from the one true gospel. And he says in, in, verse, um, in verse 1, he says, it was, 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, what does he mean here? Because these folks didn't see Jesus on the cross. They didn't see him uh, crucified. What Paul, I believe here is doing is he's referring back to the powerful message that was preached to them. When he came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's kind of like what Paul told the, the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.4. He said, we know that he, that is God, has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And they received the word in much affliction. In other words, the preaching was so powerful and it was so fueled by the Holy Spirit, it was as though they saw Christ crucified on the cross. Amen. That's how our preaching should be when it comes to Jesus Christ. That it is as though they are there. That they see Jesus Christ. And so it, they, they had heard the gospel so clearly, clearly that it was as though they were there. They had seen Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. And in light of that, Paul asked four questions. Four questions about their experience in the Christian life. He says, first of all, verse 2, questions about the Spirit. He said, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, the obvious answer to that is, well, we didn't do anything to receive the Spirit. It was by faith. It's just as Paul said in Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. They had received the Spirit when they heard the word preached, and the hearing was an effectual hearing. Notice here that he says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with Faith. There are many people who hear the word, but do not receive the word. Why? Because it's not an effectual hearing. It's not a hearing that God is, uh, uh, he's not converted them. He's not uh, caused the new birth within them. And so some people hear, but they don't believe. But here he says, did you receive by the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. They heard the word preached. It was effectual. And so they believed. And that's how they had received the Holy Spirit. He goes on. He progresses in the Christian life. They started out in faith. And he says in verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He speaks here of sanctification. How you grow. How you grow in holiness and become more and more like Christ. And notice here what he says. Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit and now you're trying to do this whole thing, the Christian life, becoming more holy and everything else by works, by the flesh? Now notice here he uses, he doesn't say works, but he uses the word flesh. Now we know what the flesh produces, right? We know, as Paul will point out in Galatians 6, that the flesh only produces sinful desires it goes and it produces sinful works we know from romans chapter 8 all the things that the flesh does it doesn't profit us at all the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god and it cannot please or submit to god's law it cannot please god then he goes on he asks another question which is obvious the answer is it was by faith verse 4 did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain 
The obvious answer is no, it wasn't in vain. They had received Christ, and what happens when we become a true believer and have true faith? Well, we undergo persecution. And Paul is saying, is all of this suffering, everything in the Christian life that you suffered for, is it in vain? And then he noticed the, the, more, the more pastoral tone. He says, if indeed it was in vain. He's still almost like holding out hope that they won't go down this road. Then in verse 5, the fourth question about miracles. Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. The obvious, obviously, the working of miracles, the spiritual gifting of the church for the edification of the body doesn't come by what we do. It comes not as a result of works, but as a result of genuine faith. So the obvious answer to all of these, these, these uh, questions that he poses to them about the Christian life, you could sum up the entire Christian life and what Paul has talked about here in one word. It was faith. Faith alone is how they progressed in the Christian life. It's how they started out. It's how, it was by faith that they had suffered. It was because of their faith that these miracles were done and so forth. All of these things, it was all of faith. We become a Christian by faith and we continue out the Christian life by faith. And that is the way it is and it's all the, the way it's always been throughout Amen. all of life and throughout all of the Old Testament. All the Old Testament. Notice here Paul goes and gives in verses 6 through 9 an illustration to show us, to prove his point, to drive it home that the whole Christian life from beginning to end is one of faith. How are we justified before God? By faith alone. Now, notice here before we dive into verses 6 through 9. He's appealed to their experience in verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 5. But now, he, he knows that experience is not enough. He knows that it's not enough. We always must go to Scripture. And so what Paul does is he takes them back to Scripture. He takes them back to the Old Testament, to the life of the, of the, uh, the patriarch Abraham. Look here with me if you will, in verse 6. To prove that, God, that we are saved by faith alone, he uses Abraham as an example. He says in verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now some might ask, out of all the Old Testament saints, why did, he, why did Paul use Abraham as an example to prove his point that it is by faith alone? Well, to answer that question, just think about who this man was. First of all, he was the, one of the most important figures in the Bible, in the Old Testament. He was the father of the Jewish nation. He was among the Old Testament patriarchs. He was the father of them. He was the, he was the one whom Isaac and later Jacob would come through Isaac. So he was... Uh, he was uh, he was one of the he was the founding fathers of the patriarchs. We go on, we see without this man, we would not have other figures in the Old Testament like Moses and Joshua and Samuel and David. And when we get to the New Testament, Mary and Joseph and even Jesus, for they all come through the bloodline of Abraham. Not only that, but the Judaizers who were Jewish they would have no doubt, more than likely, have used this man in their argument as well. Now, the way they would have done it, they would have taken the, the Galatians, more than likely, to Genesis chapter 17, which talks about circumcision. 
And so they would have made their case from maybe places like Genesis 17.10 that says when God told Abraham that every male among him along with his offspring were to be circumcised. But notice here what Paul does in this whole passage and especially in verse 6. Paul doesn't start in Genesis 17. He goes back before circumcision. He goes back 14 years earlier, or as we may say, two chapters earlier in the timeline of Abraham's life. He doesn't twist Scripture to prove his point. He lays out Scripture in its context. In Genesis 15.6, he goes back to that and shows that Abraham was justified, declared righteous, declared not guilty before God, not on the basis of circumcision, but by faith. He goes back here in verse 6. He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's quoting here Genesis 15, 6. God had taken Abraham out of his tent and showed him the stars of the heavens and said, this is how many your descendants are going to be. And what did Abraham do? He believed. He had faith. And because of that, he was declared righteous before God. He believed the promises of God. And all the Galatians had to do was just simply read the passage from Scripture that Paul quoted to see that salvation has always been by faith alone and not by works. Abraham was not justified by circumcision because that didn't happen until 14 years later. He wasn't justified by the law because that was given 430 years later. It was by faith alone that Abraham was justified. And as what Paul would point out here, that is true of all who have faith. Look at verse 7. Now then, that is, those who have faith, who are the sons, of, or know then, I'm sorry, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Regardless of your class, regardless of the law, regardless of works, nationality, race, or citizenship, or anything else, on this earth, it is those who have faith, just as Abraham had faith, who are the sons of Abraham. In other words, they are entitled to all the blessings, all the blessings that come through Christ and Christ alone. Now, what Paul says here is very similar to what we find in Romans chapter 4 and verse 23. There, Paul, as Jerry alluded to in Romans 4, Paul lays out this argument of how Abraham was justified by faith and, and it was by grace alone and all of those things. And we read these words that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in Romans 4.23, it says this, or Paul says this, he says, but the words, it was counted to him, referring to this righteousness that was given to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, the words that God spoke over Abraham, He was counted righteous because of His faith, are the same words that apply to us who believe. Now think about that for a second. I remember in seminary reading Romans chapter 4, and I was wrestling with these things because I was not taught all of these things early on. I think I had enough 
information. I knew that Christ was the only way. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that only Jesus could save me. And, and I believed that I was saved. But I remember reading these words, Romans 4.23. And I remember that the doctrine of justification hit home with me. And when I read those words, it was like I was born again again. Because I knew that it was by faith. And so long as I had faith, not in myself, not what I had done or anything else, but in faith in Christ alone, I was saved. I was declared righteous. I was declared not guilty before a holy God. And I remember the peace of God just flooding over my soul when I read Romans 4.23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Now, some people may struggle with doubts. I, had a, I was going through a bout of doubts during that time. And I would go to preachers all in this area back when I was struggling with that. And I, they would say, well, did you ever pray a prayer to ask Jesus into your heart? Did you ever ask Jesus into your heart? Did you ever walk that aisle? Did you ever? And one guy even told me that I called who was a missionary in, in Mexico. And the guy said, well, what you need to do is go pray a prayer and drive a stake in the ground in your in your." behind your dad's barn. And if you ever doubt, go to that stake and that'll be your assurance. Never got assurance from any of those things. But when I read Romans 4.23, that's where my assurance began to settle. Because I knew that I had believed and I had trusted Christ alone. And because of that, because of my trusting in Christ alone, and not some prayer, or not some, uh, some formula, then I was counted righteous before a holy God. And that's what Paul is saying here. Know that, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now go to verse 8. This goes right along. Uh, verse 8 goes right along with what he just said in verse 7. Verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice here that Paul points out that the Scripture preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now, if we go to uh, Genesis 12, we find this phrase that he uses here, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. But who is it that is speaking there? It is the Lord. The Lord is speaking this word, these words. And here he says in verse 8, And the Scripture preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would just, justify the Gentiles by faith. Uh, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham. What he's doing here is he's equating with what God said as Scripture. The Word of God. It is. He heard the Word of God. And the Scripture in that time when God spoke to him. And who is God? Well, we, Christ, Christ, that great preacher of the gospel, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. It wasn't that necessarily that Abraham was going to be the one who brought this about, but the one who came through Abraham. And eventually we see that that person that came through Abraham was Christ. So in him, yes, in you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. And so when Abraham heard this gospel preached, and what was this gospel about? That all the nations would be blessed. How would that happen? 
It would happen only through Christ. What was the gospel that he heard? It was the same gospel that you and I heard. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. One gospel for all time. Old and New Testament. And what did Abraham do? He believed. He trusted. He trusted in Christ. Now some may say, well, where in the world would you get that? Well, Jesus even said it. John 8.56, He said this about Abraham. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So even as far back as the Old Testament with Abraham, the gospel was preached to him saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And what did he do? He believed. He believed the words of God. He trusted in God's promises. He looked to Christ just as we are to look to Christ to be saved. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. How are you made right with God? It's not by works. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It is by trusting in the good news of the gospel. Now, as we move on here, we've seen uh, Paul appeal to experience. He's appealed to what was written in the Old Testament by giving us an example of Abraham to argue for justification by faith alone. And now he hammers it home in verses 10 through 14. He drives us to Christ. He says in verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written. Notice again, he's quoting Scripture. Quoting Deuteronomy 27-26. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. In other words, you Galatians, you want to go this route that the Judaizers are setting you on? Do it. But here's what's going to happen. For those who rely on the works of the law, they're under a curse. And so will you be under a curse if you try to be made right with a holy God by doing something. It's only by faith and faith alone. Why? Because cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. And we know that not one of us are without fault. We've all broken the commandments over and over and over again. We're all guilty before before God apart from Christ. And so we are cursed. There's no blessing. There is only curse. Now, verse 11, he goes on. Now it is evident, quoting Scripture again, that no one is justified before God by the law. For, and quoting Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Right. He's saying once again to the Galatians, it's evident. It's all over Scripture. If you want to be made right with God, the righteous who are acceptable before God, they live by faith, not by keeping the law. He goes on to verse 12, but the law is not of faith. It's not of faith. It's something you do. It's something you keep. The law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. Quoting Leviticus 18.5. He reminds us that trying to earn God's favor by works is not by faith. For the one who seeks to establish his own righteousness, he must live by it. And we know that that is not by faith. That's not living by faith. Now, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, he says, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, quoting Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
So Paul lays this whole thing out of how you want to rely upon the word, the law. It's not, you're only going to bring about a curse because you have to keep every single commandment and none of us are perfect. But where is our hope? Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He paid the price that we owe. We had sinned against God and we would have got what's coming to us had it not been for the grace of God. But God through Christ was redeeming us from the curse of the law. How did He do that? Well, God just couldn't say, you're forgiven and no, no, no fine be paid. Christ went to the cross. He became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He became the curse for us. He took our place. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. Now we go to verse 14. And I'm going through these quickly because I want to follow up just a little bit on what we've said. But verse 14. Why did He do all this? So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Paul is telling us that the purpose of Christ's death for us, and he does so by tying it back to Abraham. All of these things we see from Abraham to our own experience, all of these things, salvation is by faith and faith alone. It's always been this way. There wasn't a second way for those in the Old Testament. There was only one way, and it was by faith in Christ and Christ alone who became a curse for us, who took our penalty, who did everything necessary to bring us to God. Now let me go through these quickly. I have several verses, but I'm not going to read all of these because of time. But I want to just wrap these up. I want to be clear about what faith is, because we've talked about it. We've said this is what is necessary to be saved, faith in Christ, faith alone in Christ. But what true saving faith isn't? We want to be clear about that. We want to distinguish true faith from false faith. First of all, what true saving faith isn't? Saving faith is not wishful thinking. It, true faith doesn't say, I hope God will save me if I trust in Christ to save me. No, Paul says, I know whom I've believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Job 19.25 said, I know that my Redeemer lives. There was a confidence. It's a confident faith. It's also not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of evidence of things not seen. True, or, or saving faith is not temporary. Jesus told the story about the parable of the soils. The word goes out. Some people hear it, receive it with joy. They, they spring up for a little while. And then as, they, as Luke says in Luke 8, 13, they believe for a while. And what happens? They fall away. Either the cares of this world choke the the word out, or they have no root, and so they wither away. True faith is persevering faith. It continues to the end. We go on, saving faith is not void of good works. As James pointed out, James 2, 18-20, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble, but you... Want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But true saving faith is evidenced 
by fruit, by genuine works. Now, saving faith is not just intellectual knowledge or having right theology. Um, James points out that even the demons believe that there is one God. So you do well if you do that. But we know the demons are not saved. They have not faith. So it's not enough. We see in other places in scriptures where the demons would cry out things like uh, Matthew 8, 29. What have you to do? With, what do we have to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? That's more theology than some pastors today. They had right theology, but yet they were not saved. So it's more than just intellectual knowledge. We need to have we need to know the truth. That is a part of it, but it's not enough. What is saving faith then? The object of saving faith is Christ alone. John 4.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, Jesus said. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So the object of true saving faith is Christ. Not something else, not your works, but Christ. Saving faith is Trust in the right Jesus. There's a lot of people today, they claim to believe in Jesus. There's the cults who use the word Jesus. There are the liberals who use the word Jesus. There's the legalists who, who use the word Jesus, but they do not have the right Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And so it is possible for a person to say, I follow Christ, but the question is, who is the Christ that they follow? Is it the Christ of the Bible? Is it the Jesus of the Bible? They do not believe as the Jesus that is presented in Scripture. So the one that we must put our faith in is the one that is revealed in sacred Scripture. Saving faith, trust in Christ and Him alone for salvation. Galatians 3.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And saving faith will be proved by true good works. There will be evidence. Uh, there's no such thing as a Christian with, with a dead faith. Uh, these people who claim to have faith in Christ, but there's no evidence. They, they live for the world. They, they, they just go with the flow of the world. James 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, what about our title in James 2.24? Well, how do we reconcile the two? Because remember what James said in James 2.24. He said, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. But we are saying that salvation is by faith alone. Well, what we are doing here is we're showing how one is made right with God. And it is by faith alone. And James would agree with us on that. But the difference is, is that James was dealing with hypocrisy in the church. Things like James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. James also said in James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and this person's religion is worthless. He was dealing with those people who thought they were Christian, but were not. And there was no evidence. So that's why he was saying that it's not by faith alone, but by there has to be an evidence, a work. But he would agree that it is by faith alone in the sense that we are made right with God. Just as Paul, well, that's what Paul was getting at when he talked about it is by faith and faith alone. Now the last thing I want to point out here is, is faith a gift from God or something that we conjure up on our own? Right. This is my last point. 
Many people today, like the Armenians, the Pelagians, semi-Pelagians, and even those within the Southern Baptist Convention who call themselves the traditionalists, which is very deceiving because they're not the traditional view of the Southern Baptist Convention, they would like to say that we, uh, God has done everything to provide salvation and we must muster up faith on our own and we can do it because God has commanded it and so we can just do it whenever we want. And they say that faith is what comes from us, not from God. Well, we can agree with them on one point, that we are not robots and that we do actually put our faith in Christ when we become a believer. We can agree with them on that. But where we depart is where does that faith come from? How are we, where do we get the ability to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ? Well, they would say, well, it comes from you. We would say it comes from God. God is the one who grants faith. Let me just give you a few scriptures. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer. Do you see that? It's been granted to you to believe. Luke 17.5, the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. If they had the faith, why were they, or the ability, why were they asking that God would increase their faith? Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. The sum total of salvation, all of it, is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, including our faith. Same book, Ephesians 1.15, Paul gives thanks to God for the Ephesians. And the two things that he gives thanks to God for, for the Ephesians, are their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love towards all the saints. If they had mustered up faith on their own, then why does Paul praise God and give Him thanks rather than giving the Ephesians thanks for the faith that they have? And then last, John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's all a divine work. Salvation is all by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now some may say, what is the big deal? Why have the dispute? Why do we need to go into this about faith being a gift of God? Well, I'll tell you why. The reason we must be clear on this, that faith is a gift of God, because if we are not clear on this, then we open the door to heresy and poor methodology when it comes to ministry and evangelism. And we put all the emphasis on the person rather than Christ alone, the grace of God alone, the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray that Your saints would have been built up and encouraged and edified through the preaching of Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that as these men come and and share more with us from Your Word, that You would bless it. And uh, Father, I pray that we would be doers of the Word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.